Welcome back to the Payroll Insights Podcast. Steve Bogner and Nina Scott. Hey, Nina. Hi, how you doing, Steve? Just lovely, lovely. And uh, rejoining us today is Lisa Teague. Hi, Lisa. Hi, how are you? Glad to join. I'm yeah, I'm good. Well, we're going to talk about global payroll in this podcast. Um, it's something I think uh, a lot of people don't sort of consider and think about. And we want to sort of raise the questions about why it might be appropriate for a company and what it, first of all, what is it? And, you know, how would you do this? How, how would you go about taking a look at this? What are the trade-offs? Because, uh, you know, my opinion it may not be right for every company, but maybe it's right for you. So um, I think we'll get straight into it. So, um, so Nino, how would you define global payroll? Because I think uh, a lot of people look at payroll um, and they say, well, it's also country dependent. How can you make it global? So what is global payroll to you? So global payroll to me is somewhere within the organization. And I say somewhere because it's, it means, you know, the definition is different in a lot of companies, but somewhere mm -hmm. in the organization, there's a connectivity of the global payroll operations, each of the payroll operations. So in some organizations that could mean that it's centralized in some organizations, it means that it's somewhere up in the tree. It's centralized up in leadership. It's centralized in some organizations. It has to do with reporting. It's reporting centralized. So you do what you need to do um, in your own country, but you want to report it and in other countries companies, excuse me, in other companies, it has to do with a, um, a single vendor platform, you know, an aggregate, mm -hmm. a single vendor aggregate. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I think we hear organizations asking more and more, can they run payroll from someplace else for various reasons? Mm -hmm. Either they want to offshore it, they want their there's a, a resource constraint in a specific country and it doesn't it, mm -hmm. sometimes it's in the United States and sometimes it's um, over overseas or mm -hmm. in some places it's um, economies of scale. You know, mm -hmm. having a payroll person in every country when you only have 50 people in a country may not support it. So um, I think we hear a lot of organizations ask the question, you know, we're thinking about being global. We're thinking about defining what what does global mean to us, but can we run payroll from a different country? Um, mm -hmm. Lisa, what are your thoughts on that? Well, certainly, um, if we had done this podcast pre-COVID, I might have had one set of circumstances. Post-COVID is another. Mm -hmm. So uh, just really isolating uh, all my comments around how the global landscape works today for companies. Uh, they really have to look at what they want to do strategically. Um, do they want to expand in many regions or do they already have payroll uh, and they are doing it individually? And they're again, like you said, perhaps it's a reporting, perhaps it's a system, uh, you know, um, business. Um, uh, need that they have. Uh, a lot of organizations have taken the approach that they'd like to control more, um, but have to adapt that due to the fact that they have 
large or small employee counts in each country. They may have a myriad of payroll vendors. They may have a myriad of operating models. Um, and, and they may be in an industry that has blossomed because they may be in a medical or service industry that uh, has uh, really taken off lately. Um, and so they take all of those um, components and they and sometimes there's a sort of a knee jerk reaction. We want to pull it all in tightly and run it from the US. And yes, you can do that with various types of services and payroll vendors, but there is some um, pros and cons to that that I think some organizations might um, not be thinking about when they want to achieve that, let's just say central control. Uh, so for example, uh, one of the big ones is, okay, you wanna centralize it, one single vendor around the world and you wanna run it from uh, your uh, US headquarters. The issue is, is that there is time zone challenges, a lot of time mm -hmm. zone challenges. You yeah. have to be able to adapt to those time zone challenges. And in addition to that, there may be things that come up either regionally or within a country um, that uh, you need to quickly respond to, uh, such as, uh, you know, uh, a mispayment or something. And a lot of times folks are not prepared to handle that emergent payroll needs that come up. Um, so uh, again, yes, you can. It sort of depends on what you want to do and what you have today. And doing that study will probably help organizations in the long run make better decisions about that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think the time zone issue is a big issue. Um, and also, um, you know, language capabilities might be another. I mean, um, you know, in, in a lot of countries that a company serves, um, you know, you're, you're not going to have English as, as a primary language. And you can find a lot of different people who speak different languages in the US or any given country, but are they the type who would want to go to work in a payroll department and sort of make a career out of, out of that? And I think that that's where it gets a little dicier to have a global approach to servicing. Um, companies I've worked with have had more success in a regional approach, right? So, so maybe a, a service center for the Americas, you know, a service center for Asia, one for Europe, you know, one for Africa, however it breaks out for your company's geography. That's been more successful, um, but in, but like you said too, Lisa, there are some things that local people on the ground are going to be uh, much better suited for. So typically, I see you know to me, it's, I'm a big believer in the eighty twenty rule, and I, I think that payroll, when I look at it, especially from a, a technical perspective, eighty percent of payroll is common around the world, twenty percent is different. It's compliance, it's it's local reporting, local regulations. And certainly when I look at it from a systems perspective, that's true also. Calculating gross is pretty much the same in every country. You take a lot of payments in and you calculate gross. And uh, the 20% difference comes into to regulations around compliance and social insurance and taxes and reporting, right? So um, it's always good, I think, to have, even if you go to a regional approach, to have some payroll responsibility locally in a country um, for two reasons. One is to get a heads up with some of the local requirements that are, um, and we saw this with COVID, right? I mean, tons, lots of different countries came out with very specific COVID regulations. 
And unless you were in the country, you may not have a full appreciation for what those are. And then also, um, you know, when it comes to the technical part of payroll, where we're exchanging data with uh, the government or with third parties, sometimes having uh, local people in the country is is a big plus to help us coordinate those sorts of things. So, yeah, so that's that's what I've seen uh, from a systems perspective anyway. Um, I think one of the, the biggest things that's overlooked, though, for global payroll is when you get a, a global approach to payroll, then you can have a global approach to compliance. Um, yes. because, I mean, this came up with my clients with GDPR, the General Data mm. Protection Regulation in Europe. Um, you're, I mean, if a company violates that, that's an expensive fine, or it can be. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a whole lot of them have been handed out, but um, a lot of my customers started looking at that and they were saying, well, how do we know that our employee data is safeguarded in all the European countries we work with because we have no visibility to payroll in, in those countries. It was right, right. Locally, right? right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that, um, you know, having a global approach to that compliance aspect um, can really safeguard a company. Mm-hmm. I, I so, totally agree. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Nina. No, no. So I was going to say, so, you know, you can't just go in boots first, you know, you can't just say, hey, I came to work today and I want to decide to open up a global payroll. You need Mm -hmm. to take a look at your organization. What are some of the key elements, um, Lisa, that you find are things that need to be considered in evaluating what the global strategy should be? for me, the number one thing is what is our global business footprint? If we're just emerging on the marketplace and want to get our feet wet in different countries, the model used to be open a bank account, open a legal entity, find a payroll provider. Uh, I would have to say the majority of my clients um, are really gearing to, hey, if we want to do this, let's go into co-employment with one of the PEO vendors that uh, offers those services globally. Yeah. Let's go and um, uh, PEO stands for Professional Employee Organization. And outside the U.S., uh, it's really become a, a very popular alternative. So you could own attract a top talent, you could hire them, be compliant, but in essence, the uh, PEO company is employing them uh, and we pay an invoice for that, but it is listed as co-employment, so our company's listed there uh, and they can represent us in various sales or other business development matters. And we get our feet wet and we'd say, oh yeah, this is good. This this is a, a country or a market area that we're very interested in. And then you can make the investment into the infrastructure needed. Um, and so organizations have, have looked at that as a vehicle to enter markets. Sometimes there's a lot of acquisitions and shifting of employees between companies or divisions within companies. Um, and they, just like we might in the US, they end up with the vendors that were there at the time of acquiring or at the time of this business interaction. Um, And then they end up with a whole host of vendors. And so, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. I kind of veered away from your question, Nina, but when you're looking at this and you're saying, what's our first step? It's really, should we have uh, the infrastructure for every country or should we have a myriad of options in order to 
um, uh, attract and move into the markets we want. Maybe we want a mm -hmm. PEO model. When we get to a certain employee count, we want to move to a payroll model. Uh, once we get to another headcount or another regional, maybe we want to open a service center. It's sort of a, a trajectory of those mm -hmm. options. Uh, sometimes folks think they got to go right in the deep end in, into the full model. Steve, have you had yeah. that experience? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Lisa, because I, I've seen that my, my opinion uh, from my experiences, it's is really tied to how the company operates. You're right. So some of my customers are really big into shared services and shared services for HR, finance, payroll, purchasing, things like that. And they go on a global basis with that and they set up global processes even spinning off a separate shared services company to do that. And they're standardizing things globally. And other companies have a different operating model where they give country finance uh, officers all the responsibility of finance for that country. And they integrate at a much higher level. And it's because they want to be, I think, more nimble on the ground uh, because that's their model, or maybe that's their history too. I've had some companies who have just operated that way forever and it works for them. And they say, well, no, we don't want, we don't really want to change that. Where we get into conflict though, is um, all these new software systems. And I think, you know, no, no matter what software system you pick as a, as a global company, it's going to be maybe one of five or six different vendors. Um, it's problematic to operate global integrated software platforms on a country level or regional basis. Because when you set up processes within these systems, they tend to be global processes. And once you start saying, well, I want this process to be a certain way for this region or that region or this country or that country, uh, you start to get into problems with some of these software platforms because that's not what they're there for, right? They're there to serve the whole company. Um, you can make your software do that on a very country specific way but you'll pay the price in complexity and upgrades and things like that. So, so what I'm seeing now is sort of a competing dynamic between the software systems and some of the operating models in companies. Um, I've seen companies operate on a country level basis for payroll with a global payroll system. Um, and you can do that, but I just, when I look at it, I think what a wasted opportunity because you're, you're duplicating so much effort here. Um, where you could uh, be a little more economical with it. But then they say, well, Steve, that's not our model. It's not the way we do business. And so this is why it is the way it is. So that's where I say, you know, it, it, may, it may not be right for every company. And I think the operating model is a big uh, predictor of that. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. And where it really typically rubs is during the treasury function. Because mm -hmm. if those bank accounts and those all the management of uh, incoming and outgoing funds and, and the bank is all managed within a country or their treasury model has been to have everything central and 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 pushed uh, from the U.S. bank. However, it, it happens uh, when there is um, payroll, which is, a you know, a, a large or the largest expense for a company, that treasury function has to be lockstep with how you want to mm -hmm. run payroll. And when it isn't uh, because of their operating model, maybe wasn't considered or it changed because of COVID or whatever, 
uh, I see that as being one of the big rubs. You know, the other aspect of this that a lot of companies talk about, and I don't know, Nina or, or Steve, how, how you've seen the marketplace lately, and I'm really wondering this, have you seen organizations trying to tighten their belt, reduce their cost of administration? Is that one of the drivers you're seeing at this time? I see organizations saying that, but they have to go through the learning curve that this isn't necessarily what you're going to get. You're not, yeah. if your whole objective is to save costs, you're going to find that the person doing payroll in that small little country is also the person who cleans the bathroom, answers the front desk, and you know does the shipping department. So while you may have saved that person's payroll responsibility, you haven't saved the head per se. Um, so I have not found that organizations that want to do this just for cost savings end up being successful. I don't know, Steve, what about you? Totally agree, completely agree. I think uh, if you're wanting to save money in payroll, um, for sure, take a look at your payroll processes and your payroll software and see where you can streamline, simplify, and standardize. The three S's, streamline, simplify, standardize. I say them in a different order all the time, but they're the three S's. That's where you're gonna save money. Um, and some of that will uh, result in in headcount efficiency for the payroll department, but not much. Um, where it's going to pay off is in uh, better data, higher quality payrolls, uh, fewer reconciliation issues with HR and finance and treasury, and with third parties. Um, that's that's where you save. I mean, I even when people you know outsource payroll and they think they're going to get this big huge headcount savings, it doesn't always happen. Of course, it depends on the model, um, but um, you, you, if you want to save money in payroll, take a look at streamline, simplify, standardize, and not so much at payroll headcount, because I mean, yeah, you can save a little bit on, on payroll headcount, but on a per employee basis, it's not going to be that much. Um, I would focus on, on these other things. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Lisa, you were talking about before treasury, I just wanted to say, you know, on the front end of that. I'm seeing most of my customers go to a global HR system, mm -hmm. right? So they have mm -hmm. one system for global HR. And when you have one system for global HR feeding 30 or 40 different payroll providers or payroll systems, that gets to be a mess, right? So uh, this is another place where um, global payroll processes can uh, help you work better on that HR platform too. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you can, you can drive 30 payroll systems from one HR system, but uh, if you can reduce the number of payroll systems or payroll providers, um, again, it increases your visibility over cost and compliance and controls. Um, and I think it also, it helps rationalize your technical landscape. So you have fewer moving pieces to maintain, which is a good thing too. To me, it's always, um, you know, the simpler your system, the, the more reliable it's going to be. And so if you can feed five payroll providers globally instead of 30, then I think that's a, a pretty big win. Good, good point. Um, the other aspect that I also see, like we're talking costs that, you know, folks are honing in on that. The other mm -hmm. sort of um, lens is that 
companies are trying to or uh, believe that they've offloaded their compliance responsibility onto that yeah. provider and we yeah. saw with COVID that they're like no that's that's your 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 side of the equation we just execute you tell us which program and how to administrate it mm -hmm. and that compliance um i don't even that com that com that it's a big it's a it challenge a, yeah it has a lot of tentacles to it um yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of debate who owns the compliance and a lot of times they said, oh, no, our payroll vendor does. And that that really hasn't come out. Have yeah, you seen that's that? That's not the way it works. Yeah. So I had a, a customer in Germany who um, outsourced payroll and, um, you know, Germany has some pretty well-defined and strict COVID regulations that, you know, if if you were standard in the software in a standard German company, you apply it to the software and it's fine. You're pretty much good to go. This employer, though, some of their policies went above and beyond some of the local agreements. Um, and so it, the application was a little bit different for them, right? But the software provider just says, okay, here's the software changes we put them on. You've got to customize your processes. You've got to adapt to it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of that way with, with all regulations in all countries, too. Um, you know, outsourcing the payroll doesn't outsource the responsibility. It just outsources who presses the button and, you know, that's worth something, right? It's worth something oh, yeah. to have someone run the technical platform and someone to press the buttons, but, um, you know, you're still going to own it and uh, have the responsibility for it. Absolutely. Nina, have you, have you had interaction on that compliance front? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about this in other podcasts before. It, it's the, the fine print on the contract. <laughs> you know, yeah. people miss that on who who retains that responsibility and it, it takes interpretation. It takes some knowledge. It takes understanding of what that means within um, a specific environment and country environment. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that is. Um, you know, a major concern when you think about how to deal with organizations. I wanted, yeah. I was reflecting on some things that you guys said earlier around, um, you know, the headcount and the savings associated with headcount. And, you know, one of the things that always comes to mind, and I think it's something that organizations don't have a way of measuring, it's one of those soft costs, is payroll leakage. I mean, we've all been in organizations mm -hmm. that, you know, someone did X, Y, Z and they lost $10,000 or $30,000, or there was a mistake, you know, in the accuracy of paying somebody mm -hmm. and, you know, they try to get it back or decide not even to try to get it back. But mm -hmm. how many organizations have you spoken to that track that in a given year? So they know the cost of what they've lost by yeah, first of all you got to know it yeah i mean you hit it right on the head Nina. first of all you have to know that it's happening and i think a lot of people just don't know i mean how can you track something you don't know and so getting that that visibility up front i think is is the first step into that but once you have that visibility um yeah my hunch is that not many companies get very aggressive about um collecting those sorts of mistakes I agree the, um, you know, the leakage, like you said, is also we made a payroll error and the person was overpaid, as we know, mm -hmm. um, in 
almost every country, there's a lot of rules about that. Um, and uh, if the person's uh, uh, no longer in the employee, is virtually nothing you can do. But keeping track of that also has the stigmatism of um, uh, some sort of, you know, yep. uh, negative connotation. But I think you're right. Um, because it could help lead to better processes. So we, maybe we've made a tax payment late in a certain given country, um, but we tend not to want to talk about that or share that uh, because it, you know, whatever led to that. Um, but if you did keep track of it, it could uh, also show the processes are working. We haven't had any late tax payments or, you know, over. We can show the progress, right? Yeah, you right. Say, Here's the progress. We started tracking this and it was crap. And now mm -hmm. it's somewhat less than crap six months mm -hmm. later. <laughs> and all, I would also add this, which is really huge for me, is tracking the vendors and their mm -hmm. accuracy issues, their whatever uh, it is, not just the technical aspects of that system maintenance or uh, uh, uptime or whatever. It, it's more that uh, their response time to issues or um, you know, they're running very leanly mm -hmm. too, but sort of that vendor report card. A, yeah. a lot of um, uh, companies don't want to handle or don't see the value in that. I see huge value in that vendor report card. Yep. Yeah, I think anytime there's a mistake, that's an opportunity to improve a process. And so that mistake doesn't happen again. Uh, I, I talk about it with people in terms of reconciliations between systems. And you see that, okay, I reconcile payroll over to accounting and I found these differences. Okay. So you'll manually fix those differences now, but what caused those? Let's go look at what caused those and fix the process or fix the system so that they don't happen again. So next time the reconciliation doesn't take you eight hours, it takes you six. And then you find fewer errors. And we just keep repeating that cycle for every error we find. And, you know, errors are, <laughs> everyone has errors in payroll. Right? I mean, everyone does. And um, so, you know, just take a look at them and understand that everyone has errors. And, you know, don't get too proud of your payroll. I mean, every payroll has mistakes. And so <laughs> let's look at it and fix it. <laughs> um, so, guys, I, I really, I mean, I, I know that um, we're going to wrap up our time now, mm -hmm. but um, I really would love to explore. I mean, we talked a little bit about the first steps for, you know, thinking about doing global payroll, but I would love to explore in a future uh, podcast. Okay, so now we've decided to go global. Okay, we kind of decided what our, our, our approach is. How do I implement? What are the things yep. we need to consider? Because a global implementation is a much different animal than a, a domestic implementation. I mean, they talk about three months when you talk about a country globally, where in the United States, we're talking to do the US, we're talking six months to 12 months, depending on how big your organization is and what system mm -hmm. you're going on, blah, blah, blah. So I yeah. guess what I would love to explore, if you guys would be interested in joining me on it, is what are the differences in things you, you should be um, considering as part of an implementation for a global payroll? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that you're right, Nina. That's a whole separate podcast we could go on. I mean, I think we could go on for hours about it as we always <laughs> do and talk to payroll, we're payroll geeks, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you're, you're right. It's like, what are the steps? You know, how do you get started? And uh, yeah, it's, it's a big question. It is, and it, it's a valuable question for folks to gather lots of viewpoints on, 
and apply it to their particular circumstance. Not everyone's going to have every facet, but I, I, mm -hmm. I do think it's a great topic for folks learning and, and gathering this information. Yep. All right. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Lisa. We love having you. Oh, yes. um, so now that, yep. especially since we've just suckered you into doing another one with us. <laughs> <laughs> Warning to future guests on podcasts. <laughs> so, um, yeah. but thanks for having us and um, thanks for joining us. And Steve, uh, as always, thank you for um, having me as part of the podcast. Well, you guys, thank you too. I mean, you guys all, we all make it work. So thanks.